Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, session number five. Hey everyone, on today's episode I talk with Zoran Dobrovich. He's the manager at 401 Games in Toronto, Canada. And we go over a ton of great tips that he learned from running one of the most successful magic and game stores in Ontario. But my favorite part of this interview is when Zoran goes into story mode. This guy's got some of the best stories that I've heard on the podcast so far. So with that, let's dive in. So could you uh, introduce yourself and tell me your story? Sure. My name is Sundarivich. I've been working at 401 Games for about six years now. Since uh, since the little itty bitty store just stopped being 401 Convenience, and worked there as a part time, just like their first part time employee essentially. That was uh, there for one of the game store, and now I'm still there. Many years later, as the manager, uh, working at the big location that we just opened up at uh, 518 Street, massive one. Yeah. And uh, my general role is, since I've been there for so long, is pretty much have to cover everything. Because I've worked there back before people had to be specialized. Because nowadays we have uh, the Magic guys, we have the Yu-Gi-Oh guys, we have the Pokemon guys, we have the hmm. board game guys. But because I've been there forever, I have to do everything and make sure everyone's doing their job right. And of course, I have to do all the promotional stuff and all the background stuff, like getting all the PTQs and regionals and whatever for each game. Okay, so you're the magic coordinator as well as the general manager? Uh, general manager, the magic coordinator has actually been passed off to some sort of magic specialist now, mostly mm. another guy, but I do have to get all the weird events like for the new games that come out, like Vyshwartz, I need to get those regionals, and organize all the Pokemon events and all the Yu-Gi-Oh! But we now have a guy that handles magic specifically as well, because that section is so huge. We have three guys that are, not more, we have five guys that are like just magic. So every other game, we have like one guy, maybe two guys. Wow. How many people do you have working for 401 now? Uh, that should be going on 20. It's like, yeah, it's about to be about 20 employees at the store now. Back when I started, it was two. Fantastic. So, big improvement. So what do you think uh, got you to that point? Pardon? Well, your house, how long has the store been open in... How did it uh, progress to, to from two employees all the way to 20? Uh, well, if you go back to when it was 401 Convenience, the store made its name by selling cigarettes at cost. We've got people from all over the city coming in to get cheap cigarettes. And then uh, at one point, uh, the current owner, John, he was a little lad working with his father at the store. Uh, John was into sports cards, so we got some of those. He's like, oh, these are sweet. Let's just have those because we just sell them bubblegum and whatnot. And then he's like, there's this new game coming out called Magic. And he just stopped me for fun because it was kind of like sports cards and I was doing well enough for them. Mm-hmm. We got Magic cards in the store. And 
eventually they figured out, hey, people want specific magic cards, which is weird. People these want specific sports cards, but you know, they don't want multiple copies of it, they just want the one. And John Vinci created the Magic Binder, and because it was one of the very first stores to do it, it uh, got him kind of a reputation for being the store that sells magic symbols. Following that, just kind of escalated with the popularity of the game. And fun fact, Formal One Games actually, if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first stores to ever run a pre-release for a set. And it was, sadly, it was Ice Age, so it wasn't a good set. But <laughs> it's the very first time any store had like a whole, uh, uh, what do they call those? Well, basically a trolley of magic set, which is like way more than any stores ever ordered before. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's just the store's gotten, because the game's gotten more and more popular, so it has the store, and we've had to continue to expand as games get more popular from not only magic, but Pokemon was huge in the early 2000s, that became a thing. Yu Gi Oh! Mm-hmm. hit the scene, and eventually the stores had to expand more gaming, and as all the games got popular and the store got better at, you know, Serving the games, all the singles, how to present them, all the product, make sure it's in stock. We just had to keep on expanding and eventually, you know, get to the huge store. And once you have this many customers in the store, you got to have guys to handle the specific customers. We just kept hiring people. And by God, we've I've seen so many people come and go in my time there. Really? How many? Oh, man. Uh, I, I've been like the one that's fired half of these people, but... It has to be at least fifty odd employees since I've been there, if not more. There's probably some that like we had like we had a very high turnover rate for employees because people like, oh it's a game store where they sell cards. I'm just gonna sort cards all day and I did that anyway, so I might as well get paid for it. Mm-hmm. And they realized they're terrible. And so there are many people who just turn over in under a week. So if we count the guys who are there for like one or two days, we can probably go back to sixty, seventy employees. Wow. So a lot of people just realize this isn't for them? They realize because uh, not only just working retail, but working at a shop like 401, where it's not just the customers, you sell them the product, they leave. Now, these customers are here every, you know, it's part of the routine to come almost a few times a week, stay around for, you know, hours because they're in a tournament. Between the tournament, they hang at the counter and they're, uh, you know, swapping jokes, talking stories. They got to, like, be friendly with these folks. And you're not the kind of guy that can, like, hold a conversation with many, many people over and over about every topic. If you're not very sociable, mm-hmm. you're not going to do well in that industry. Yeah, for sure. How uh, how difficult is it to hire and fire people? Uh, the hiring depends on the person because we have so many people that are like, we, have, we put on our uh, hiring sign, you need a board game specialist. To specify, you need to know all the board games. And then we got like a fleet of people coming in. It's like, I know Monopoly, and I know Jenga, and yeah, and anything else I can learn. And every single person who wants a job says, I can learn the rest of it. And for those people, you can tell like you're not going to hire them at all because they have no interest at working at 401 or any game store. They just have an interest of having a job. Hmm. So those people are quick to uh, dismiss. But then there are other people that like uh, who really do know their games. Like, if you guys come in, We've been customers forever. We've talked to them a lot. They're very enthusiastic. They know everything. But it seems as soon as you put them behind the counter, all of a sudden they kind of kind of like uh, shrink up and they're like, I don't want to talk to anyone. And Changes just kind people. of hang on the corner and sort cards. They're really good at sorting cards, but it's only a, you only be a counter monkey for so long. you got to talk to people. And so there's some people you actually don't know how good they are with the actual 
communicating when they're on the selling end because for some reason it's a big difference for a lot of people. And so they just kind of shrivel up and we got to knock them out. And so that's why retail experience is a lot more important for a retail job than people put on because it's all about your personality with dealing with customers. And of course, we always have to hire people who end up being thieves or end up being sketchy in some way. We had this one guy who I remember he, he came in, did his one shift, did like half a shift. He was doing okay, complained about a stomach ache, left, and we never saw him again. He didn't, even, he didn't even come to pick up his like half a day pay, and he never was a customer again. So we're pretty sure he died or something. Stomach ache killed him. Because or died of shame. Died of shame. Sung a little lines. But yeah, and usually when we fire folks, it's very obvious when it's going to happen because it's been like, it worked like two shifts and they didn't work out. And some, and some people can't take being fired, even if it's obvious that it's coming, but you can't help that. It's only when there are long time employees that have something's happened in their lives that they have to kind of, um, they don't, they don't work with us anymore that it's kind of a difficulty because we really don't want to fire the guys who've been good have been good employees for a long time, but something happened that uh, doesn't not be able to function as well as it did before. Those times it's kind of heartbreaking, and other times it's uh, it's kind of hilarious because they did something really stupid. But I only have to fire the guys that are like there for a week, so I know he's been there for a few years. Pass off to the boss, and he deals with the stress. Yeah, sometimes uh, people just have to move on too, right? Yeah, the, 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 there have been very few instances of people actually quitting. I think I can recall maybe of the 50-odd employees we've had, maybe two quitting. They didn't quit after the first day. And a lot of them is because, actually, one of them, he wanted to go back to school, and he did, so perfect. That's a good reason to quit. Mm-hmm. other one, I think he just, he just couldn't handle the, the stress of it all. Because he was also, uh, when, you, when you get hired in a store that's expanding a lot, you never actually get into a routine. It's just always changing for you. And if you've never worked a place that ever had a routine, it's just too stressful. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, how long have you been at your new location? Uh, I think we were there August of last year was when it first opened. It was August 1st. So year and a few months, over a year and a half. Okay. Uh, I don't know how much you were involved, but do you know what the process was like to find the new location? What were the priorities? Why did you pick it? Oh, first priority was we had to expand like the size of the store considerably. So we needed a place that was at least three times as large. Like that was like the bare minimum of what we had to get. Mm-hmm. And plus additional storage space. Like just the floor had to be three times large, plus you had to have additional storage space and whatnot. Another big thing is we wanted to keep our location to be downtown, very close to our old location. Luckily we ended up finding something that was uh just a bit north of our old location. It was perfect. And then even after that, getting into negotiations for the get out bid people for the lease and the amount of renovations we had to do was I think the biggest gripe. The renovations, the you know hiring contractors like the Wild West, you have no idea how much anything costs. Mm-hmm. Like how much is going to how much is going to cost to install like a heating system? How much is going to install like all the toilets? How much is going to cost to like level the floor? People don't have experience with that every single day, and it's different for every single building you go to. Mm. You can't even look uh, from previous examples from other people to like, oh, how much a heating going to cost? Okay. Now, the, the contractor just throws a number at you, and you just got to kind of 
accept it or try to haggle, the contractor knows you have no no uh frame no for it. So yeah, they'll they'll, they'll screw you hard. So how much shopping and, around did you do? Uh it was about a year of looking around. A year of looking around after it was like official that we were going to have to move. Uh the owner he was talking for like three, four years that we're gonna have to move eventually, we're gonna have to move eventually, and it was kind of like it was casual looking around, but only in like um only in the like last year and a half of the of uh, before the move, he really had to like actually shop and visit locations constantly and figure out what was available. And I know from uh, when we actually did move in, because I had to deal with that a lot more, actually shipping everything over there and stocking the shelves and organizing everything, that was hell. That was that was terrible. Yeah. We had our uh, we had three days to move. We were just down the street, and John decided I'm not gonna hire any movers and continue to use gonna buy rent a truck and do it myself mm-hmm. that's lots of fun so we had the entire staff which i think was 12 people at that point maybe a bit less we were working uh three days straight 16 hour shifts just uh getting everything on the wall because when you have that many board games all different shapes and sizes all the hero clicks all the sports cards not all the six not all not everything given the boxes either we had to figure out where to put shells and a slot wall everywhere just in case you need to put something there mm-hmm. And even those full three days, 16 hour shifts, no breaks, except maybe 30 minutes for lunch. Uh, we didn't even finish. We just, uh, made the front end look presentable and enough people could come by. We could look like behind the counter. We can actually move to the cover of garbage, mm-hmm. but it was like under our waist so you can see it. But everything in the basement was just like, we just, we really just threw things down the stairs because we just didn't want them all to be presented. Nice. That was also that was also the worst to be working the opening day because we worked uh, already three days, sixteen hour shifts, and then uh, I think we ended the last day around five a.m., five six a.m., and then we had to open at eight a.m. the next day. And we, because the basement was so overhauled with trash, we couldn't actually you know sleep at the store, which is what everyone was going to do. We we're just going to sleep on the floor and go to work. But wow. now I done this paid for a cab, so it took me about forty-five minutes to get home. Got to sleep for 15 minutes, went back to work, opened the store, and we had to be all right out of the bushy tails. It was a grand opening. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. People haven't slept for over 24 hours and been working ridiculous shifts. That's and a I lot of dedication to ask from your employees. Oh, it is a lot. But once, you're, um, once you've been there for a long time, even though it's you know, working at a store like that, it's not just a retail position. We work for a corporation. You're personally invested in the store and it's doing well because any work you put into it completely shows. Like anything you do, it's not like it goes through a process of a bunch of people. No, if you want to create a new display space, you make it and put it up. And just John just says, sure, go ahead and do it or doesn't say anything and you do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's because also uh, we want to make sure people have lots of fun when they come to the place because... We know, like, all the customers are so excited with the opening, and you know, serve people for several years, and you just basically try to make them have fun, and you, they all become your friends. And of course, you play these games as well, so there are your friends outside of work too. And you know, you want them to have lots of fun with the store, so you just want to make sure everyone has the best time because you know you want your friends to have fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's go something else about that. Oh yeah, I think our opening day is. I checked maybe half a year ago, but it was our best sales day of all time since ever. 
Wow. I know that's been topped uh, since we opened the new store in the past uh, half year, but it is that was the busiest day we've ever had, and it was when all the employees were just ready to kill themselves. But mm-hmm. yeah, fun times moving. Yeah, so definitely don't do that unless you for sure have to, right? Yeah, oh god, it's and you gotta have, and it was so expensive, just like oh, mm-hmm. those are three days of no money for the store. If you yeah, had more, time, you're paying all your employees the whole time too, right? You pay your employees the whole time, and you know, pay them enough so they don't like just say don't quit in the middle of the sixteen hour shift because that's a uh, sure there are many. Many uh, laws or employment laws broken during that time, but I don't think anyone cared. We were just like, we just wanted to get it done. We were getting paid. Mm. It was just crazy. So, uh, speaking of dedication, how do you mm-hmm. actually get your employees to care that much? What is it about the store that uh, makes them invested in it? Um, well, a lot of it is if you're really into the game. You want to make sure that the game is healthy, and because we end up being, um, because we're one such a huge store at this point, we're uh, kind of the face of a lot of pretty much all the big events in Toronto. And if you want your game to do well, you got to make sure all of its big events are run well. And so, your first event is not only in the store, but in the game itself. You want the game to flourish. You want everything with that to be uh, really exemplary. And it just because because you're a player and you know the other players, you're also basically doing a favor to your friends by having a very good community and making all the tournaments run well because you want other people to go into it too because you're invested in the game for yourself, you're invested in the game for your friends, and you're invested in the game for the general community which keeps it alive. And yeah, also because 401 is so small, in theory, that's definitely as small as you can actually see all the work that you're doing. It's um, it just because you, all the work you put into it, you get to see the results. Mm. I know for myself, uh, I was working very hard to get this new game, Vice Schwartz, to do really well. And so we had a couple of customers, and whenever our tournaments only had like three guys in them, they were depressed, and their day was kind of ruined. Mm-hmm. And because I turn- the tournaments wouldn't run that well, I basically ruined three people's day every week. Not a good feeling. Mm. And so I ended up having to do uh, to jump over many hoops to figure out who had the Japanese products they really wanted, because that's game's origin in Japan. They're like 10 sets ahead of us. I had to send emails, I had to send emails to people I've never heard of, find the Ushiroad, find the guy that owns all their Japanese imports. It's not a company, it's a guy we have to contact. Mm-hmm. We got his email. And over like a few few months of work, I was able to import all these massive, massive amounts of products. And then when I finally put them on the wall, the next day we had a flood of like, 50 people who all wanted to come in to see it and they were excited. They were basically throwing a party. They had, they had a potluck like the next week when they were all buying everything and they are so happy. And when you get to like, when you when your uh, job shifts from depressing three people a week to like making 20 odd people super happy every week, that's a really good feeling. And you get paid to do that. You get paid to sell happiness. Yeah, I guess that's pretty rewarding, right? Yeah. And that's, we're not selling people crap. We're really selling them stuff they want and they want to enjoy. Like if mm-hmm. I worked at, I don't know, some like luxury handbag store, I know people are wasting money on garbage because, what, it's cost like 15 bucks for us to make that bag. We sold it for a grand and they couldn't afford it and the credit card was over. Mm-hmm. It's not a good feeling. And that's why we also like keeping things cheap, not just because it makes the store look good, but because it makes people end up getting uh, 
more product of the thing they want, and the more they have, the more fun they can uh, play it with, and we can make it accessible to everyone, which is always really good. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you mentioned advertising at the beginning. Is that something that you deal with personally? Advertising is kind of a new thing for 401. It's uh, because advertising is a big expense, and when the store is pretty tiny, it's um, hard to do anything with that. Mm-hmm. Recently, we've been trying to do things like, uh, you know, having a Facebook page, Twitter, a website, like all the basic stuff everyone should have. But the thing for a game store is you can't really advertise on TV because the people who want to go to your store are the ones that um, want to play the games. So the biggest promotion for 401 is really just to run uh, to run events. Because I'm not sure if most people should be aware of this, but almost all tournaments are run at a loss. Usually it's a big loss. Sometimes we break even, which is what we like. Mm-hmm. But almost every event's run at a big loss for the store because the events are purely promotional. And that's what people come to play because even something that doesn't have a very hardcore following, like uh, Pokemon, which usually has a lot of younger kids in the only thing that really gets them to want to go to the store is if we have a tournament, that's the entire incentive for them to come. And I get the tournaments, you have to contact Pokemon, it gets posted on the Pokemon website, and so they kind of promote it. But advertising, more than anything, it's just events, and sometimes we have like releases a bit early because we're a big store, but events are just the only way to really promote, and we're an hour attempting with uh, having like we're going to try to get like a YouTube review show going on, a la Tabletop, Dice Tower, what have you. Mm-hmm. And it's really just giving the people what they want in terms of here are all the products. Just you can know all about them and just being as great a service as you can because getting people off the street is like come to the toy store. They don't know anything about it. It's not that great. So all the people who are already into the game, knowing where they can experience it the best by having the largest uh, player base and the cheapest prices just so they're able to play. Because the entire thing thing for advertising is we're the best store to play at, and then if they happen to buy something while they're playing, perfect. But all all you really have to emphasize is we are the place to play, and on on the other hand, we're also the place that is the cheapest, which has to be convenient. So it's really a, we're trying to make 401 a destination store, not just something you like, while you're shopping downtown, you also stop by 401 to pick up your uh, new Catan board or whatever you need. You go to, what we want it to be is you go to 401 first to have all your fun and make that your trip downtown. And then when you go somewhere else, that's where you do your miscellaneous shopping. Mm. So uh, tournament structure, you said that you run most of your events at a loss. Yeah, it's, it's always a huge loss because uh, if you make your entry fee too high, people don't want to come anyway. And the other thing is if your entry fee is high, people have to assume that to make it worth my time, I have to uh, get in the top eight to get prizes to break even. And then you like basically get rid of all your casual players because they don't think they're going to win. They don't want to pay the entry fee. Mm-hmm. Which is why we always kind of run um, different types of events for every game. For all our uh, Japanese card games, we run uh, we run a pay tournament every week, which we take at a loss or break even. And then we run a free tournament uh, every other every other day. So Saturday is the pay tournament. Sunday is the free tournament. And the free tournament, we get all the casual players who just want to play and don't want to have to invest anything. But we still give prizes to people to come by for the just top two players. It's only a couple packs, but it's something for doing well. And so every single week we will take a loss on the free tournaments for sure. And most of the time we'll take a loss on the on the pay tournaments. Because the entire thing with the game is that uh, players really are content for it. So you want as many people playing as possible. 
And if you have a customer who comes in, never spends a dime, but is in every single tournament, you're basically your I want to say, I want to sound like exploiting. You, you are profiting off him essentially because he is providing content for the other players who are spending money. Because mm-hmm. you want to be able to support as many people who are not spending money as possible for the people who are spending money and just for the game in general. Because every once in a while, the casual players who play the game so much, you're not going to play a game you really love for like a year and never buy anything. You're going to want a new pack or a new card or something to play with to expand on the game more. And so. It's, you got to treat any customer who spends like a grand every time they come in the exact same way you treat a customer who spends 50 cents because the customer who spends 50 cents is providing just as much for the community as the guy who's spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And also, if you ever do exploit someone, try to get a lot of money from them in one day, you're going to like get the grand the one day. He'll never come back. He'll have bad will. He'll have bad will to store that will spread. But if you have the 50, the customer for 50 cents a day, you'll eventually you earn up to that grand and you'll get a lot of goodwill and a lot of uh, new players by treating them that well. So you mm-hmm. always want to make sure every customer is treated super, treated very well so you can have the players and have the community for everyone else to enjoy. Yeah, that's a good strategy. Would you say yeah. that's uh, one of the reasons why 401 is so successful at selling games? That is 90% of the reason why 401 is successful at selling the games. The cheap prices are, of course, what everyone claims is the best thing, mm-hmm. but really what... Uh, the boss has emphasized since I first started working six years ago, every single day, customer service is job one. He repeated that every day to me for so long, and I'm sure that the other employees that it has to stick. That the main thing, the main thing for your job, is not uh, making sure the binders are stocked, making sure everything is available, making sure prices are cheap. Your main job, out of anything, is to make sure all the customers have a great time, and that they are really happy when they leave and they feel welcome, and that they want to come just to hang out, you want them to want to come just to hang out. We do have customers that, like, even if they are going to class at Ryerson down the street or any university, uh, on their time off, they come to the store to hang out, which is perfect, because then all they do is talk with us and talk to the other customers and make sure that the whole uh, community and the play space is great for everyone. And they just keep coming back over and over. And when it's part of everyone's routine to always come to the store, we're hoping just by osmosis, we'll end up going to buying things every once in a while, which is really what we need. We don't want to push sales on anyone. We just want to push people to be here all the time, and the sales will kind of occur naturally. Mm-hmm. So why don't you think uh, other stores take that model as well? Um, that's because a lot of stores, a lot, a lot of owners are pretty short-sighted. If they see a customer that's in their store every week and doesn't buy anything, they consider that a bad customer and they're just wasting their time, and they don't really understand the benefits of having players in the store, because players are the content for the games. Mm-hmm. They, so they um, they end up just being rude to the customers who aren't spending a lot of money, and it's just very short-sighted for them. They don't understand the benefits of having just a lot of players. And also, we know some of the other store owners, and some of them are also just crazy. They're just, they're just insane. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that they're bad businessmen or anything, they're just they just can't deal with people, and they should be, not be anywhere around people. And so they're just bad customer service on any store they'd run. Because the kind of people who are really into uh, these games are the kind of people that want to be the store owners, and they're also not usually the same people. Because to be that much into magic and whatnot, you got to dedicate a lot of time. And I think John's the only one who really went from being a pro player to being a savvy businessman, from being a pro player into just like wanting to play the game more and only considering yourself with that. 
Because uh, what, what most people will learn is when you become a magic magic judge or a stoner, your play time is cut severely. Like you're rarely going to play the game anymore. But for a lot of people, it just makes them unhappy. And if, when they're unhappy, and if they have already have poor social skills, they're not going to treat the customers well. And so they're only concerned with money because they lose all the benefits of playing the game in the hopes of gaining that money. And if they don't, they just they just get uh, annoyed, flip the table, and say, you know what, this is waste of time i'm not this game is so successful for everyone else why am i not earning money and that attitude kind of kind of spills off into how they treat the customers and then they don't they don't think customers are survival and then they lose everything at one point so a negative attitude creates a negative environment which starts exactly. driving your customers away yeah so would you say a lot of the wrong people are uh, in the game business is that the problem uh, not, not a lot of them, but there are some some people that we're well aware of, and then uh, we know for those people, yeah, that's definitely the problem. For other stores, it's just a matter of uh, for for any, if you ever start one of these stores, I think uh, the number the owner always gave me was first two years you're gonna you're gonna have a loss, you're not gonna earn any money, and for some people that's really that's really frightening because your lifeblood is in the store. If it doesn't do poorly, you're out in the street. Mm-hmm. So they're not earning money the first two years. They just want to get out of it because they can't take that loss. And rightfully so, you can't. Not a lot of people can live without money for two years. And so it's really the startup that's the hardest thing to do for these stores because you have to um, be okay with not earning money and you just have to build your reputation up over time. And there's no remedy for that other than time. And so if you're not able to stick around for the long haul, you're going to be one of those small stores that's around for a couple of years and then die off because you couldn't survive. But if more, if more stoners are able to take a loss and continue going on after that point, they'd all be successful. But the big problem is you are not going to do well your first two years, and a lot of people, that's making it very hard to get in the industry. So stores that have been around for a long time tend to be really good, mm-hmm. unless they have a different problem, which is the crazy store owners that happens every once in a while. Mm. So is there any other advice you'd give to somebody who wants to open their own store other than get it ready for the long haul? Uh, treat your customers really well. Tournaments are only promotion. Do not try to profit off tournaments. Uh, customer service is job one, like number one. And uh, think about have a very good location because what we've learned as well is for uh we're the downtown location, so there are a bunch of stores around us, so mm-hmm. we have to be the cheapest store. Uh, I have friends who work at other stores that are very far away from us. They're like two-hour bus haul north or south or east or west of us. Mm. And their prices are considerably more. But for them, that's okay. They don't have to compete with our prices because they are because they have a better location for their customer base. And so the customers could spend the extra 10 bucks to buy the game there. And they're almost always going to pick that over the extra $6 of bus fare plus the extra two hours of travel. So if you are opening a store, make sure there's no one else near you, and that's going to be a big uh, draw for your customers that they don't have to make the trip. Mm-hmm. And just make sure there are people. Don't open the store in the middle of middle of nowhere. Just open it where there Literally are nobody. people that in the store. And that would be the best thing to do, because if you're like some other stores and you open across the street from us and you try to compete in board games, you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. If you open two hours away from us and you compete in board games, you're going to be perfectly fine. You're uh, you have a different community than us, and that's what you want to build in that, that, that location. Yeah, they're not going to overlap much at that point, right? Yeah. Okay, so we can, can we talk about pricing for a little bit? Sure. 
So uh, how do you determine where your prices fall? Like, how do you know that you are the best priced store, especially for magic and magic products? Mm-hmm. Uh, for magic, the card prices kind of determine themselves. We have no say in what we price them. Uh, we have to go over what the market is selling them at. And so we go over the regular sites. We go by Star City, TCG Player, eBay, whatever whatever resources we can find. And we just make sure to be the market price. Like for Magic, we're not concerned with being cheaper than everyone. We're more concerned about being the market price because mm-hmm. we try to be cheaper than everyone. The problem with that is we have to buy the cards at a fair price. And so we can't buy them at a fair price and sell them cheap because then we have no margin or profit. Mm-hmm. We're just more concerned of having a very wide selection for magic cards and having the widest selection, and that being our draw, while having them all at the fair marketplace. But yeah, for, for magic, everything determines itself. You can just look on the interwebs and find what's selling at what price. And also, you got to keep track of all the major tournaments. If certain guy topped at a PTQ with a certain deck using a card that no one thought was viable, that card's going to jump up. BDH becomes popular, all foil is going to jump up tenfold, which is what happened recently. Uh-huh. You've got to keep in line with um, what people are buying, because sudden jumps do happen all the time, so you have to be on top of when something's about to jump or when something's about to fall. The falling doesn't usually happen, but when something's about to jump, you have to give you on top of that, because all of a sudden, if one guy comes in and he buys 10 copies of a 50-cent card, usually that means the card is now $5. We should probably go change that price for the next customer. Uh-huh. But... Yeah, for that, you just have to keep track of what's happening in the market. But for things like uh, board games and sealed product, which is, has an MSRP, mm-hmm. uh, the only thing is just price it cheaper than whatever the recommended retailer price is. Just always do. Because their, their expected uh, markup is like, if you bought it for $10, you should be selling it for $30. And we're like, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And that's what, every, that's what most stores do. They just go with what the manufacturer tells them it's worth. And we realized very early on that they overvalue their products to no end. Hmm. And so we just do our standard markup, which is considerably less than 300%. I think it's like mm-hmm. 20% or something really small. And so we end up doing uh, our standard markup if we can't find the price anywhere. And then if we end up finding another store that's selling it cheaper, we just match them or go cheaper. As long as we're not selling them at a loss, it depends on the product. Usually we don't sell them at a loss unless we really want to make sure that we're the cheapest because what have you. Mm-hmm. We, just, we just look online, look at all our competitors, and maybe once in a while there'll be, pardon me, there'll be a, some guy in, I don't know, Petawawa selling the game two bucks cheaper than us. Those we, I guess we miss every once in a while. But otherwise, we just always make sure to check all our competitors, make sure our prices are cheaper. And because we sell so much more volume than one, we can afford to do that. And that's really only a strategy for our store because we have to be the we have to make sure we have as many people uh, playing and buying as possible for the sake of keeping our community very large. Mm-hmm. But if you're a store in the middle of nowhere, you can afford to be more expensive because of the location thing, and you have a different needs for your community. Yeah. So, so was that the uh, sorry was that the initial strategy when 401 opened up because they weren't always so big, right? Yeah. The, the initial strategy was really we were the first to market in terms of having a really good gaming store in Toronto. But uh, it was a strategy for the cigarettes. That was a good way to get people in the store. Hmm. And of course, you'd uh, you'd uh, charge for slotting allocations of cigarettes. Oh, Marlboro, you want to be on the top shelf? Uh, it's going to cost you five hundred dollars. Menthol is only paying us four hundred. So you can outbid them and put you on the top shelf. Because you know, cigarette smokers, they'll 
I don't, I don't smoke myself, but apparently a lot of them don't care what brand's there. They'll buy the first one they see. Sure, there are many that are dedicated to their brand, but a lot of people, they just buy whatever's on the top shelf because they're out of cigarettes and they really need one. Nice. Inside but, tech um, on the cigarette industry. Yep. You can't do that anymore without cigarettes are behind, like, behind glass or a counter or something. Yeah, know. they're I hidden now, aren't they? So it doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, the initial strategy was having, um, if not the cheapest prices, to have decent prices and just have a wide selection because that is the two things that before you're focusing on developing a community, what people care about most is having decent, if it's not cheapest, decent prices and a wide selection was another thing. We stocked a lot more games than anyone else because a lot of game stores, when they first opened up, they stocked the staples. They stocked Settlers of Japan, Ticket to Ride, the newest set of Magic, the newest set of what have you, and then they priced them decently. And that doesn't really bring people into the store initially because even Indigo sells board games and 7-Eleven sells packs of Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that your store is different enough from Indigo and 7-Eleven that people will go to your store to buy it instead of theirs. And the common way to do that is to have a bigger selection so they can try different things and also the events and promotion once you're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for us, it's just we're the cheapest because now that we are the biggest, everyone knows we exist. So now our next poll is also be the cheapest and... That's for us. That's what we do. Do you have a favorite customer story? Oh. Is there uh, something that really stands out? I have one, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it. Can you say it without any mentioning any names? Keep it um, anonymous? I can. Anyone who knows these people will know exactly who they are, but I think those people are allowed to know it. Uh, there was one time we had to deal with a robber. Because back in the old store, we had um, we had very lax security. We had no alarms. We had no cameras. Now we have a lot of alarms and a bunch of hidden cameras. But back then, we just kind of, because we didn't have anything valuable in the store, like, oh, man, someone stole a bunch of $2 magic cards. Mm-hmm. No. But eventually when the magic got big, we started having more valuable cards. We ended up getting thieves. And there was one guy who, because we worked in this, we had this really old building with a bunch of weird entrances. Like, you get in from a back alley, if you went up the fire escape and, like, knocked down a window. Mm-hmm. We had a guy who did that. He went through this, like, this door we didn't even know was there anymore because it had been painted over. So it was just part of the wall, essentially. And we had this one guy who figured out the, the blueprint of the building, went through the door that was painted over. He busted it down and stole a bunch of stuff. And we're like, oh, crap. <laughs> and so he stole a bunch of uh, magic product and a bunch of... Um, Went to like the Power Nine, like the thousand dollar cards, mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, I guess we have to report this to the police. And the first thing the police told us was, how do you not have an alarm system? Mm-hmm. And so we're like, oh, this is terrible. And then we're like, we still don't have an alarm system. It's gonna take a while to install, but we do have an employee who lives like two minutes away. He can just park outside and uh, be the guard every once in a while. And so the next day. The dude came back to steal some more stuff. Oh, really? Because most thieves are not very clever. But he realized that, oh, man, we, we locked the door that uh, we didn't even know existed that he came in through this time. So what he did is he snuck in through this underground passage thing. that We have no idea what it was. And we stored, stored everything in the basement. But uh, he couldn't get to the basement because we locked the basement door. Like, we installed all these new locks. No mm-hmm. alarm system, but there are locks everywhere. We came in through the, this outside entrance to the basement... And then we have wooden stairs going to the basement. 
So what he did, he essentially sawed through the stairs to create an entryway for him to come through. And the co- my coworker who was still waiting there was perfectly aware this was happening. So uh, he went at the top of the stairs. And so the guy, he sawed through the stairs, got in, grabbed the part he could, and he tried to get back out. And when he heard him getting back out, he opened the door and he punched him in the face, <laughs> knocking out the guy. <laughs> And it's like, yep, we caught a robber. <laughs> That's a good story. Yeah, and since then, because the, the robber was actually a really big like pro player in Magic, he's actually asked to like, be allowed back in the store because we run all the really big events. And he's like, can I please join the PTQ? <laughs> can I please go to the Grand Prix trial? I have no other options, and I need my points to get in to qualify. I need my invite. And I'm like, no, we're not letting you back in the store. No, ban for life. <laughs> wasn't even like you palmed like one card. No, you robbed us twice. <laughs> and yeah, that's always a that's a pretty good one. Yeah, that that's a very good one. And of but, course, we always have the odd customers who is just weird. But mm-hmm. I think that works for like those are gonna be the same stories for every retail location. Like we sell a game called Illuminati, and lo and behold, it's about the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. And I was selling it to this one couple once, and I'm like, yeah, they have, they, have, they really did the research for this Illuminati stuff. They have things like, uh, they predicted like these disease outbreaks that actually happened. They predicted a war in Syria. And there's actually this thing coming up for, uh, I think it was like when the Olympics were in London in 2012 or something. Mm-hmm. I think that was the day. There's a, an exact date written down. It shows Big Ben blowing up. And like I was making a joke of it. And the customer goes really close to me and goes like, so... So they know. And he was completely genuine about this. He actually <laughs> believed everything I was just telling him was accurate. I'm like, oh, shit. This is real. Wow. I, this guy exists. People believe this. And I'm like, here you go. Also, there's an expansion that has updated cards. And, of course, he bought three copies of it. So he like, play with one and research the other two. <laughs> like, dear. Oh, my. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we have a lot of because of, because of our uh, because our store deals with people who spend like thousands and thousands of dollars in one day and fifty cents in one day. We get every single walk of life. Like we have um, like the sports cars customers are the ones who spend thousands of dollars. They're all like old men, so mm-hmm. they tend to not be as interesting. Except when you get like the guys who you kind of question how they have so much money, like mm-hmm. the twelve-year-old Asian kids. It's like, man, what who died and what did they inherit. Very rich when, you, when you get a guy who's like 12 years old throwing down, you know, three grand a week, you wonder, the hell is he doing with his life? And sometimes you just have really odd things like that, like people having these crazy amounts of money. Or, of course, we have some customers because we deal with them for years and years. I've had this one customer who's, who's uh, 21 now. He's been coming to the store for about five years. And in that time, he's had two kids and like 18 girlfriends. And when you're 21 with two kids and no money, oh man, you gotta stop spending money on cards. Yeah. He spends like $300 on cards, and I'm like, I really shouldn't be selling this to you. Yeah, your I feel kid bad is in this. your arm, and I know you're unemployed. <laughs> stop spending money on this. And you can't stop him. You can't like refuse to sell it to him, even if it means his kid is gonna starve. Yeah, well. Yeah, we have weird guys. We have we have this we have this one cowboy who comes in, but I love him because he looks like a cowboy. Like 
He got straight up has, he has a hat, he has a bolo tie, he has, like, he has spurs on his shoes, like real spurs, and we confirmed they were real because I cut into something one time. Well, and um, there was one point where we we, we loved him because he was he was a cowboy who played you know card games. That was kind of weird, but um, we learned one time completely by accident because the one time my coworker was working at the till and he was just you know he's ringing him through. And this group of like um, I don't know twelve year old kids was looking at the action figures, going like, "Oh man, they have Spider Man!" Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the 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 cowboy he he turns around and as you mentioned, these kids are black. And the first thing he says is, "Why don't you guys go back to where you came from?" And we're like, "Oh my god, the cowboy's racist!" A racist cowboy, That's racist good. cowboy. Like we loved him. It was like he's like super like. It was like, oh man, we didn't see that coming. We thought it was just hilarious. <laughs> and and then um, my coworker at the till, he had to like kind of keep the peace. He was like, and he didn't want to like side with anyone because this could not go well. Mm-hmm. So all he did is he leaned in close to him and said, "I know where you're coming from, but um, you know, it's not you're gonna like scare some of the other customers with that." And so the cop was like, no, "You don't have to worry. That was only a warning." And like gives him a look. It's like. Okay, here's the product, sir. Get out. <laughs> yeah, please leave now. Like, whoa. And of course, oh, we have so many hobos that come to the store, and we have like regular hobos, like ones we're familiar with and talk to all the time. Like we have, uh, we have customers who one guy comes in drunk every single time. Then he is drunk, and he will always buy the exact same thing. It's a specific pack of sports cards. He will buy one of it. He will give you the money, and he will walk out. And if ever John's in the store. He'll yell at him for being a Chinaman and saying, Do you have a million dollars yet, Chinaman? And we're like, No, we don't. Here's your pack. He does this every single day, done it every day for years. Wow. And of course, we have the seven foot, seven foot hooker. And uh, we, we had this one girl, too, was a, pretty sure she was an exhibitionist because every morning when I opened the store, she essentially was uh, wearing a bikini top, uh, a belt. And wooden platform shoes. And mind you, this means the belt, there was nothing underneath this belt. It was a belt and a bikini top. So there's a lot of, a lot of things you could see. Mm-hmm. And every morning when you open the store for about a, for like a few months, she always walked up and down Young Street. She'd walk up Young Street, they're like, <coughs> nice butt. She'd walk up, I'd open the store, and I could time my watch to this. Four hours later, she'd be on her way back. I could hear her her wooden heels on the pavement coming by. I knew it was 4 p.m. It's like, oh, there she goes again, going the other way. Mm-hmm. That's when it was time to take my break because she walked by at 10 a.m. every day, almost naked, and then she'd walk down 4 p.m. every day, still naked. <laughs> and you could always time your watch to it because you could always hear her pitter-patter of her wooden heels going up and down the street. You get a very interesting group coming by 401. Uh, it's because we're we're in down we're in the downtown core. So not only do you get like the regular downtown crazy people, you also get uh you get routine customers and people from every single walk of life spending whatever money they can on whatever they want. I'm sure there are many many stories I just forgotten, but we give, as soon as this uh, podcast ends, I'll remember many more. Mm. But you ask any employee at a, any retail store, not even just a game store, any customer stories they have, and they're going to be crazy things that come up. Those yeah. are just the ones that I remember in my recent memory. Yeah, but that's why I like sure. getting into them. Yeah, I'm sure after six years, there are many stories I've forgotten. And some customers, I'm sure, 
Uh, I should be remembering to be hilarious if I told you right now. But that's all I can think of at this very moment. <laughs> no, that's okay. That was a pretty good selection. Yeah. So I wanted to actually go back to that first story about the uh, robbery. Oh, yeah. So you said that uh, at the time you didn't have any alarm system. Did you have, no, that was, did you have insurance? Yeah, hmm? Does your uh, store have insurance now? We have insurance. But the thing is, insuring uh, gaming products is really hard to do. And usually time it's not worth it. Because um, if you if you stole single cards, like uh, like not the sealed product, mm-hmm. if, you, if you sell a sealed product, we get insurance and we get all our money back from the sealed product. Okay. If he sell if he steals a single card, let's say he steals uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor at like what two hundred bucks nowadays, hundred fifty mm-hmm. something. Uh, what the insurance will compensate you for is not the value of the card, but the value of a pack of the sealed product. So if he steals a common from World Wake, you get the same insurance payout as if he steals a Mind Sculptor from World Wake, which is like two bucks. Really? That's the cost. That's the manufacturer cost of a pack. That's interesting. So, yeah, and terrible. That's terrible. So insuring the single cards, which are like eighty percent of the value of the store, is not worth it. So insuring the sealed product, yeah, that's worth it because it has an obvious value that can be determined by the insurance company. But also, that's not what anyone's going to steal. No one's going to steal, yeah, you know, a hundred board packs, games, whatever. load them into a truck, and walk away. No, they're going to pocket all the single cards. They can put into a sack, have you know. $2 million in their bag and just like walk away. Uh-huh. And then the insurance will cover maybe like $2 million. We've got like 2000 back. So wow. that's the point of that. That's uh, that's very interesting. I would have kind of thought that uh, magic cards would have been treated something like art. Yeah. It's, like, it's you know, because it, magic cards becoming viable is a really recent phenomenon because uh, the, the big uh, spike in prices when, when EDH was out for about two years, which is what? Three years ago was when that became big. Yeah, give or take. And the insurance, and the insurance company is not going to is also going to try to screw you because well, that's, that's how they earn their money. Mm-hmm. And so it's too much too recent a phenomenon for these cards for it to actually be uh, something worth the insurance company looking into because everyone knows you know uh, Superman number one actually comes number one is worth a lot of money and will insure it as art. A magic card, which is you can also there are multiple copies of it. It's not unique, mm-hmm. and you get them randomly. It's harder for them to determine value, and then, it, the, and they also see the market fluctuates fluctuate all the time. So they're also saying, "Well, it might be like two two hundred dollars now, but last week it was three hundred dollars. The week following was fifty dollars. So what are they going to do? The value of when it was stolen? Maybe it's it's a lot of work for them, and even people like anyone who's not really into magic cards, they they can't figure out how prices work. Yeah, it does, I guess from the outside, it's kind of a mystery. Yeah. That's just rather unfortunate. Yeah, well, that's why we have alarms and cameras and a lot of security. I'm not going to mention just so people don't even know the many ways we have to screw mm-hmm. you if you try to steal from us this time. So it'll we'll be more than just Jeff waiting there to punch a guy in the face. It'll <laughs> be, uh, <laughs> we actually, oh, we have like one door that actually shocks people now, and that's awesome. That's a recent development. I'm not sure if that was intentional or just someone got screwed up with the wiring. There's one door we never use that does shock people. <laughs> an electric door. It's probably accidental, but we have an electric door somewhere in the but store. But it works. It does. So would you recommend an alarm system for game stores in general, or do you have to be have a certain system. size? Have a cameras. Have cameras and alarm system. You don't need a lot of cameras. Just have a camera at your front entrance 
and a camera where um camera where your most viable stuff is just so you just so uh you can actually show the police who the guy is mm-hmm. a lot of the times people who steal from your store there are people who stole them somewhere else and then you're just helping compile a case against them and there's no reason not to have an alarm system the cameras are expensive so if you're something like that expensive but an alarm is cheap mm-hmm. relatively and so just have that, just if someone opens the door, it's an alarm. It doesn't have to do anything, but it's enough to like make most people just, you know, leg it and they'll send the police over and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just if you ever if you have any if you have cards, just have an alarm system. Okay. Good advice. Yeah. And so there are there any other resources you would recommend somebody who wanted to start their own game store to have beforehand? Like if uh somebody came into your shop right now and was like, Oh, i I've always thought about opening a game store. Like, would you uh, tell them, like, well, you need this much money and you need to be able to do, like, you've already talked about customer service, obviously. You need to be able to socially interact with people without being weird. Yeah. The, the startup funds, um, I know nothing of, re- of um, real estate costs or anything right now, but you're going to need, you need to spend a good amount of money on uh, your initial inventory. You're going to have to stock up a lot. Um I do the ordering every week, but I only know like how much weekly ordering weekly orders would cost, not how much a startup would be, because you have to pay for your location, your initial inventory. You got to have a web domain. You got to have a website, because 100 mm-hmm. percent of the time, people are going to find you if they look up Game Store Toronto or Game Store New York, and whatever comes up on Google, that's where they go. You got to make sure you're on Google, so you have a website. Mm-hmm. Even if there's nothing on it, to say we are a store, here are our tournaments, mm-hmm. here's our location, here's our number. Um, yeah, I'm not sure the initial investment. It depends on your location and how and uh, what inventory you're stocking, how much that's going to cost you. But uh, you're going to need a lot of money just for the inventory. You're going to take a loan. No one has this kind of money lying around because your initial inventory order, you can't just have like five coffee sellers. You're going to need to have you know, 10 copies of all the most popular games right away and at least two copies of everything else you can think of. Mm-hmm. Of course, Magic Seal product, you can, just get this, you can order that directly from Wizards. But um, you're also going to have to create a relationship with all the different distributors because I know 401, there are like four distributors I deal with on a weekly basis or on a daily basis, uh, depending on what time of year it is. And there are like four others that we deal with every once, once a month, once a half year, depending on what we need. So you're not going to get all your products from uh, one distributor. You're going to have to get a lot of distributors and you're going to have to make relationships with all of them. Because mm-hmm. some of them are just dicks. But we have one distributor who we don't like to deal with because they're just dicks and they screw you on everything. And their service is bad. But a lot of people, they have exclusive deals with certain distributors. I know um, if you want D&D, which is very popular, you can only get that from two guys if you're going to from Wizards directly. If you want the Japanese Weisschwartz product, which is a new thing to get our store, there is one guy you can get it from. There's exactly one, and he's in the States. There's another one that's more expensive. Don't bother with them. And so you're going to have to figure out who the distributors are and figure out who has what, because something like Fantasy Flight board games, those Fantasy Flight, I think, is, if not the biggest board game retailer, it's like top three in terms of the board game releases. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're only done through one person or one company. If you don't if you're not in with that company, you're not getting the most popular board game manufacturer's games, which is a big problem. And those people are com- completely different from who has other products. So you're gonna have to deal with a lot of people and you're gonna have a lot of lines of credit with many different customers, many different companies. 
Okay, so how does somebody uh, get an in with a distributor? How do they find them? Uh, for me, I'm not sure because we've always had our distributors because John's been dealing with them for years. I'm sure if you just Google uh, distributor of certain products or if you contact uh, not, if you don't look for distributors, if you know the product you want, usually something like um, the way I've come to Japanese wise words is you contact the company that makes it and then ask them who are your distributors. So you go to Fantasy Flight and you just ask Fantasy Flight who distributes your games in Canada, who distributes your games in Britain. So you'd basically go to the people who create the games and then you'd ask them in my region who distributes your products. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you'd uh, contact the distributors. Okay. Yeah, So that because uh, I'm sure if you just looked it up on Google, it probably wouldn't be as good as, yeah, find Fantasy Flight and just ask them who distributes your product in my region. And do that for every popular product you want to stock. Gotcha. Yeah, that's something that uh, from the outside is a little mysterious. Yeah, um, and eventually you're going to start going to the trade shows for all these guys. I know, uh, like, uh, we, we sort of have an end of the new things coming out before everyone else. Not a really big end. Like, most times we don't know the release date any faster than anyone else does. But every once in a while we get to know um, what they're in development and what's going to come out so we can plan our uh, shelf space and budgets accordingly. But uh, there's not a lot of secret information. Just every once in a while, you're going to go to like one of the distributor trade shows to see some stuff. But it's not the information is secret. It's just like so few people care about it, they don't bother making it public. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, what's in store for 401 Games in the near future? Near future? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we just opened our upstairs play space. And by God, it's glorious. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we, we have the, I'm not sure if you've been to 401 or your location, but uh, we had this uh, basement play space, and the floor was not even, and there were pipes basically at forehead level everywhere, mm. and it was awful. And funnily enough, it was still the best play space in the city, because most play spaces are like only a few tables, there's only so much room people have. Mm-hmm. We had an entire basement. It was like, ooh la la, we could fit 100 people at max capacity. Most, people, wow. most places can fit 50 people at max capacity. If that. And our play space was terrible, but it was still the best in the city. And now we've just uh, got the second floor to the building we're in. So the basement has now become our storage because we need the storage because um, well, I shouldn't be saying this, but our old storage was the garage and the fire escape because we had nowhere else to put it. Mm-hmm. So if there was a fire, everyone would have died. But now <laughs> our fire escape is nice and clear and everything's happy and our basement is storage. And we just got the second floor, which I think has increased our lease like 10 grand a month or something ridiculous. Wow. And there's no new product being sold up there. It is purely a play space and it is huge. I think it's 3,000 square feet. Uh, our maximum capacity is now 200, 250 people instead of our usual 100. And the ceilings, like, I can jump and not touch them now instead of, you know, worrying about hitting my head constantly. Wow. That's it's massive. all very. Yeah, it's all very well lit, which is another thing. It doesn't feel like a basement. There's a huge window where you can see everything, like see the street and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's uh, there's a lot of it's temperature controlled. It is like a luxury, luxury deal. And ever since we opened it, John's like John, uh, the owner. Uh, whenever I want to order something for the store, because I order like I order stuff every day. I order, I spend like yeah, here's fifteen grand for that, fourteen grand for that. Every time I want to order something now, John just he comes up to me and goes. Uh, if you ever want to order something, ask me first because we're out of money. Yeah. We are broke. 
So I have to like, I am living off credit cards right now until our upstairs play space, you know, somehow gets us more money. And so we're, we're one essentially bankrupt currently, but <laughs> we're hoping that we'll get our money back for Christmas. Cause if we don't, Oh man, John is screwed. <laughs> but that's so just a cash flow thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that we have essentially, if it doesn't increase sales, the increased cost of that uh, upstairs play space might in fact screw us over in the long run. We have to close it again, and everyone will be disappointed. But uh, yeah, that, that's what we're doing right now. And we've also installed like uh, TVs that will show pairings, so it's not going to be a piece of paper taped to the door anymore. It's going to be a big screen TV showing it off. Everyone can see it. Timers are going to be up there. And when nothing's happening, we're going to have... Uh, you know, Twitch streaming on those TVs. There's going to be like the Magic Championships, Pokemon, Nationals, what have you, whatever's happening at the time. Mm-hmm. We're going to stream Twitch. And so we're trying to make the new upstairs play space like the place to go to just do everything, to hang out. Because right now we hang out at the, at the camera is great. Hanging in the basement's not so great. Now hanging out upstairs, it is like a clubhouse. It is amazing. And it is free to go to, which is a big thing. A lot of stores also screw up. Never charge a membership ever. Because that also makes us you have fewer players, and players are content for this stuff. It's free to go up there, and that is awesome. There's also a hair salon that is like in the corner of the store of the upstairs right now. It's a separate room. Uh, their lease is expiring, and we're actually once they're booted out, we're gonna convert that little space into the 401 cafe, so people can now get food and drink there, and they never have to leave. Nice. That sounds and, excellent. Yeah, we, yeah, and we already have a guy who uh, who works for us who has his food handler's license. He's mm-hmm. like a professional chef. And it's like, we didn't even know that when we hired you, but now you're going to run our kitchen. Perfect. And so we're going to have that. And then maybe the third floor, we can think of what to do with it and we can afford it. And then after we've done all that, after we've made this location 100% the best it could possibly be, mm-hmm. we're going to open another location somewhere else. Okay. So I actually wanted to ask about that specifically. Also, we just got an online store because we're trying to. People saw want shipping and stuff all the time, so online store is the other big thing. But that one's a lot of work and not worth it unless you're already big, or you're exclusively online. Doing mm-hmm. both is pain. It's pure pain. Great. That's a. Uh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. I wish I lived closer so I could visit more often. Oh, now we have the online store. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I actually wanted to ask, you were originally called 401 Games because you were on 401 Young Street, right? Yep. So when you moved, do you retain the name? We have to retain the name. We, we, we cannot get rid of that name. Because no longer 401, eh? No, if, if we changed still our name, yeah. If, if, people ch- if we changed our name, people would stop finding us. Because like, we have so much time building up that name. If we changed our name to 518 Games... No one would think we're the same store, and we'd lose all of our customers. Because mm-hmm. even though we only moved like a five-minute walk from the even shorter, now, like two-minute walk from the old location, we had people coming in. We still have people coming in a year and eight months later, saying, "You guys move? Oh, mm-hmm. I thought you closed down." <laughs> like, yeah, it was ages ago. Oh, your store's so big. Yeah, yep. store's so big. We've been saying this to everyone the past year and a half. And people, like, they still can't find us. And we used to have a sign on the old 401 saying, we moved to that, loca- that mm-hmm. location. And the guy who owns the 401 Young Street, he took that sign down. He's like, ah, screw you guys. Yeah, you well, know, I raised your lease and you didn't pay for it. 
And so you, you can, you, sometimes you can move, sometimes you can change your name, but you cannot do both at the same time. That is a death sentence to you. You will lose all of your business, except for those who came in the store and you told directly, we are moving and we're changing our name. Mm-hmm. Like now that we're at, now that we're kind of uh, going to be at that 518 forever, if we wanted to, we could change the name to 518 Young Street and do a big campaign for it and make sure everyone's aware of it. But it's not worth it. And we're just going to stick to 401 games and we're going to get those occasional phone calls where someone asks, um, I'm on the 401 right now. Where do I get off to go to your store? Yeah. Some odd associations yeah, we, with the 401, I guess, right? Yeah, but we have to keep it because that is our brand, essentially. It is the 401 games brand. Nice. We never imagined it would be a brand, but apparently it is because we're so successful. Mm. So will uh, your second location be 401 North or something like that? Um, probably. That's what a lot of places do. We just be 401 Games, Peterborough, 401 Games, mm-hmm. the public 401 Games. We just be 401 Games, Suffix. Uh, yeah, we're not really thinking about that too much right now. We know it's going to happen, but uh, actual location... The name is going to depend on location to know the city they're in, and we're not. Yeah, we have no idea what city it's going to be. Uh, have we, we heard that there was this one store that was going out of business, and they had a player base and whatnot, so we're probably going to like take over that location under new management. Mm-hmm. But that's just the uh, yeah, that, that, that's so far down the line. Like nothing's concrete with that. Gotcha. Long term plans. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, great. Uh, I think this has been a great call. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I wanted to just no say that uh, this has been fantastic, and uh, if you want to let everyone know where they can find you, that'd be great. Oh, I thought everyone would know at this point. Uh, we are 401 Games in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. We're just south in Young and Wealthy Station. And yeah, we're awesome. Online? Uh, online, it's shop.401games.ca for our online store, and our regular store is just 401games.ca. Again, that is 401games.ca for all your shopping needs of Magic, Pokemon, board games, or any other collectible. RPGs as well. Nice. Radio voice. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for coming on. No problem. You have a great day. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Zoran Dubrovich. I know I did. I personally really enjoy when the entrepreneurs go into some hilarious stories about people punching other people in the face. And if you're looking for more about game store entrepreneurship and the magic community, check out ManiverseSaga.com. It's the home of the Maniverse podcast, and this is where we talk about tips and tactics you can use to grow your local community and your business. From there, you can find out more about Maniverse.com, and you can sign up to get early access as a beta tester. Currently looking for game store owners and magic players to help work out the kinks and give us some honest feedback. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Maniverse podcast on iTunes and leave a review. If you leave a nice review, we might actually read it out loud on one of the podcasts. And sharing is also a great way to help the show. Every reviewer will get a shout out on an upcoming episode. As always, thanks for listening.